you all there. All right, let me just uh, get situated here, get my spectacles on. So, yeah, um, thanks, Anthony. I, I appreciate that, buddy. I'm uh, looking forward to continuing our Nehemiah series here. I'm really excited about that this morning. So, before we dive in, I'd just like to kind of set the scene a little bit for you. The passage we're going to be looking at today, Nehemiah 11, Adam read the beginning of that. And so, in Nehemiah chapter 11, Nehemiah here is, is faced with the same problem that we did look at in chapter 7. And outside of the leaders and some workers, there were not that many people actually living inside the city. And in Nehemiah chapter 7, uh, he did kind of a census of sorts, uh, taking a look at the genealogical record found in Ezra 2 to see who was left from the remaining exiles that returned from captivity in Babylon. So the question was, at, at that point, who was still available to repopulate the city. Still now, three chapters later, no one had actually moved to Jerusalem. Why, you may ask? The city was still, though restoration process was, was uh, really kind of going, moving forward, still in rough shape. And there, it took a lot of sacrifice for the people to actually do this, to, to move enti- in, into the city. But in order for Jerusalem to be a viable city by which through these people, God would bring Jesus, there needed to be more people actually living there. So chapter 11, where we'll look at today, uh, picks up where Nehemiah left off in chapter 7. Only now the people were moving into the city to serve God's mission there. And this morning, uh, my main focus will be to, to look at what a sacrifice this was for the people of Nehemiah's day to do this, to move into the city, and how that applies to us today. And as believers in Jesus, we are called to sacrifice our lives for God's mission. We're called to take up our cross for the gospel. But what does this look like in our day? What does this look like for us as New Testament Christians? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we have to go out back on a regular basis to prepare an animal sacrifice to pay for our sins like in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, believers were looking forward to a new sacrifice that would take the punishment for their sins and bring bring restoration between God and his people once and for all. Today, we can look back and see that that ultimate sacrifice was Jesus. He's the one that took our place once and for all on the cross. He paid the price to bring us back to God, the price that we deserve to pay for our sin. For those who put their faith in Jesus, in who Jesus is and, and what he's done, we can say, along with the, authors, uh, the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So if Jesus has sacrificed himself on our behalf, how do we live a life of sacrifice for him now? The Apostle Paul gives us one of the clearest answers to that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So in other words, what he's saying there, that in in view of God's mercy, what Jesus did for us, we're constantly putting ourselves on the daily altar of sacrifice. We're constantly giving everything we are to God, pursuing the life he's set us apart for. And this will look different for everyone. At, At times, it won't be comfortable or easy. And we're promised that. Now, don't get me wrong. There is most definitely a joy for living for Jesus, that surpasses all understanding. 
but it won't always be a circumstantial joy. And that's what we find in Nehemiah chapter 11 today. The people moving into Jerusalem, out of their love for God, sacrificed their comfortable lives outside the city. Even more, they did this with a willing heart to serve God's mission, all the while knowing it would not bring them, it wouldn't bring them, it would bring them little to no notoriety. And as Chuck Swindoll, a fairly well-known pastor, uh, notes uh, with his notes on this chapter, says, they were the willing unknowns, the ones that did this, that, that moved from where they were outside the city to inside the city. And like the people in Nehemiah's day, we can also, out of our love for God and what he's done for us, learn to sacrifice our lives for him. This sacrifice, motivated by deep gratitude toward God, affects how we live for his mission in our city and personally in the body of Christ. And so this leads me to the, to the first truth I'd like to share with you this morning. To live a life of sacrifice for God's mission, you must first be willing to step out of your comfort zone. Just to share a little story with you, in 2008, uh, before the Lord called me into the ministry, I was pursuing a career in theater, musical theater, stage shows. And so right out of my undergrad, I knew it was time to make the big move to New York City. That's what everyone did. Pursuing a career in musical theater, you move to New York City. So I did just that. I packed my bags and, and left. And I left with just about $200 to my name. Brilliant idea, I'm sure you're thinking, right? Brilliant. $200. So once arriving, I was cast, actually, in, in a musical, in a show. However, it was far less pay than, than what I thought. So I had to get another job in addition to the show. However, the only problem was I was living in Queens, and the rehearsal was in Staten Island, which is roughly about a two-hour travel one way each day. And so a normal day kind of looked like for me, I was up at about 3 a.m. to open the bakery at Panera Bread, worked till about 2 o'clock, then I made the trek to rehearsal, got done at about 9, made the trek back home, and fell into my comfortable bed on my buddy's wood floor at about midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. Then I got up, and I did the whole thing all over again. It was absolutely crazy, and however, I didn't care. I didn't really, it didn't really bother me, no matter how crazy it was. But why did I move to New York City with practically no money, do my first New York show with practically no pay, and live on practically just about one meal a day? Because for me, this, this thought was that in order to pursue a career in theater, you have to start at the bottom. You have to sacrifice for your dreams. Now, please hear me for a moment. I, I am by no means trying to, to puff myself up in this story. And I probably shouldn't have moved to New York City with $200 in the first place to begin with. But what I realized that in my own life, I, I kind of had this tendency to, to make great sacrifices for the things that I really loved. And I believe that this is true with, the, with most people. When things are truly important, they raise them above everything else, even if they're uncomfortable, and sacrifice other things for that thing, that one thing that they deem important. And that's what the people of Nehemiah did that we see here in chapter 11. For those moving into Jerusalem, the move was important for them, and it was a sacrifice. They loved God so much that they were less concerned about their personal comfort and, and they were more concerned about pursuing the mission that the Lord had for them. Not only that, they did it with a willing heart because of their love for God and his mission. And the, these people, these people for Nehemiah were very crucial because cities 
can't thrive and be healthy without people in them. Now, for example, just to kind of use something here in our context, some of you may know, a few months ago, the first Wawa opened in Port Orange here. <laughs> it was on the news. There we go. All right. You were there. You were there. It was on the news. It was in newspapers and uh, on Nova Road there. But just, just think of this for a moment. So the Wawa company spent all this time planning to build this new store, paying the construction companies to do the work, but the store itself wouldn't be any good unless people were inside of it, right? People spending money on their products, making the business thrive. And in a larger sense, cities grow and prosper when there are people in them. Good industries, businesses, education, and so on. And currently, cities in the U.S. are overflowing with people. You see new buildings being built, new, new apartment complexes daily due to the growing population. But Jerusalem was not like this. The city was practically empty, with only the leaders and a, a small amount of the workers actually living there. However, Nehemiah wanted this city to be a thriving city, not for profit or for gain, but to further God's mission, because eventually Jesus would reveal himself to the world there. And what this meant is the people moving into the city had to leave everything they were comfortable with outside the city. And back in Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4, we see why it is such a sacrifice for these people to move back in, into the city of Jerusalem. He tells us in, in verse 4 that the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So before Nehemiah's time, there were no, no walls around the city for just about 142 years. Leaving the, leaving the city defenseless and in turn very dangerous. So I don't know about you, but can, can you just imagine the state of the city before Nehemiah arrived? The temple was built, and the city, but the city remained in ruins. And so when you see in chapter 1, Hannah and I come to him with this news. No wonder he was just so, so distraught over that. So Jerusalem's restoration process was kind of moving forward and in process, but things were still not in good shape when Nehemiah began trying to restore its population. And it definitely wasn't a nice new Wawa. People weren't running to the grand opening, looking for free coffee, those free t-shirts. I think they were like lime green. So in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11, what, what Adam read this morning, we not only see a people who are uprooting their lives to serve God's mission, but we see people who are doing this with a willing heart. Not just like, okay, I'll, I'll go because I have to. They wanted the city to prosper again. And because of this, by moving, they were commended for the humility and sacrifice it took to move into the city. And this mission was important to the people, like I mentioned in, in my story, something that really was truly important for them. Even though it wasn't going to be comfortable for those that did move, moving away from their families, what they were used to outside the city, and whether they were those that were chosen by casting of lots or those that volunteered to go along with those chosen, it wasn't about them. It was about continuing the process of restoring and dedicating the holy city, the city set apart by God for his purpose. And we here at Restoration can really learn a great deal from the heart attitude of God's people in this chapter about how we work together as a community for the gospel here in Port Orange. For us to live a life of sacrifice for God's mission, we must be intentional about stepping into our city and trying to make a difference. 
So when I, when I was preparing for this message, I, I, I did, did a little research online, and I found that in a 2010 U.S. census that roughly 80.7% per, 80. of Americans live in cities. And actually almost about 60,000 people live in Port Orange alone. And so doesn't this create an incredible opportunity for us here at Restoration to be in our city, even the greater Volusia County area, reaching people for Jesus? In Nehemiah 11, Nehemiah was taking great care and planning out how to get the people back into the city, looking at how the city would function again, how he would continue the process of restoration. But for us, we have a leg up on the people of Nehemiah. For the most part, we are already in our cities together as a people. This, however, doesn't change the fact that God has placed us here because we are needed in our community as a church. There are people with real needs and, and hurts all around us. So what if we sacrificed our lives on a daily basis, celebrating what God has done in us by serving others and sharing the good news of Jesus? This morning, I want to share two ways that, that we can intentionally do this, intentionally step into our city and really try to make a difference. The first way is that we can do this by always leading by example to lead by example. And as we see here in Nehemiah 11, the leaders and some of the workers led by example. They moved to the city first. And since we're already here in our city, just think of it, think of it this way for a moment. Everything we do as believers matters because every one we come in contact with is getting a picture of who God is through us. And for those who are followers of Jesus as part of Christ's body, we're constantly representing him in everything we do. How God uses us, though, in, in each of these situations, we don't always know. You may be planting a seed, and that is the seed of the gospel, the love of Christ, what he's done for us in someone's life. Or you might be reaping the harvest, helping someone to take the next step of putting their faith in Jesus for the first time. Or even more, to use an illustration that I, that I learned in seminary, you might be the person who, who just clears away the rocks and, and weeds so that person, uh, that person's, uh, the soil is, is really ready for someone to plant that seed. And to kind of give you an example of this, someone might have some misunderstandings or preconceived notions, preconceived ideas uh, about what Christianity is, so you help them to understand what, what is true and, and what is false in that. And honestly, for, for me to, to know that God is literally using me in every minute of every day to be an example for, for his mission towards others, it kind of scares me a bit. But it's also amazing and comforting at the same time that he's in control always, at all times. Even when we miss that opportunity to share our faith or help with the need in our community, it's all going to be okay. And it's in those moments that he promises to shape and mold us so we know how to make the right decisions next time. And God's word is, is so awesome and abundantly clear that we're to lead by example towards others, towards other believers and, this, and those that don't know Jesus. So that believers may grow in him, we may rub shoulders with each other, spur one another on, and unbelievers may be drawn to God's goodness, his goodness, through us. As Paul says to us in Titus chapter 2, verse 7, in everything set them an example by doing what is good. And in Colossians 
4, verse 5, to those that don't know Jesus, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And so by this, we clearly see that God calls us to bless our city by living as an example towards others in our lives, where he has us. And so the second way we can intentionally do this, intentionally step into our city and try to make a difference is by leading lives of consistency. In Nehemiah chapter 11, we see people that immediately, after rededicating their lives to the Lord in chapter 10, renewing their covenant with him, stayed consistent to what they said and began taking the next steps to to fulfill that commitment by moving into the city. And what we learn from this is leading lives of consistency isn't a one-time thing, not a once a month, not a weekly, but an hourly, uh, a minute-by-minute commitment, even a second-by-second, sacrificing our lives for God's mission, being an example to Jesus, to others, for Jesus, to others consistently. The other side of this is inconsistency. When you can't truly count on someone, when you know that someone's words are different than their actions. And in John, in 1 John chapter 2, we see a sobering picture of what consistency looks like and also what consistency doesn't look like. Inconsistency. Paraphrasing the first part of chapter 2, John says that if you say you've received the love and and grace of Jesus Christ, but do not live by his commandments, then you are a liar, and the truth is not in you. In other words, if you have put your faith in Jesus, and there's no outward change, no want to know him, no want to love the things he loves, and care for his mission with consistency, then you should stop for a moment and really examine your heart, walk in relationship with him. Because something appears to be out of order there. And our walk and growth in Jesus will never be perfect. So, so don't hear me saying that when we have the slightest mess up, we should question our faith. But what I am saying is, is what John is saying. When we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father who has paid the price for our mess ups. He set the perfect example. He's always consistent. But this doesn't give us the opportunity to, to then make excuses or continue to be inconsistent with our faith, in our faith. And I love this verse in, in Romans chapter one, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, as, as Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Because of the love of Jesus and what he's done for us, we sacrifice our life for him, leading by example with consistency. When it's uncomfortable to share our faith at work, When the Lord gives us an opportunity, we do. When it's not cool or uncomfortable to to stand up for what God says, we do. We do stand up for what God says. When it's uncomfortable to sacrifice a Saturday afternoon to serve in the community, we do. When it's uncomfortable to sacrifice your time of leisure for growth in Jesus, we do. Now, don't get me wrong. Here, because this is, this is not something that's just like really easy. It's not. It's not easy to deny ourselves and live for Jesus. It wasn't easy for one-tenth of the population to the people to move into Jerusalem. It wasn't easy for the disciples to continue God's mission when they were being killed for it. And it's not easy 
today for us either. Because at times what God desires in our lives is, is direct, directly contradicting what our culture desires. But be encouraged in this because we do have a helper. God himself, through the Holy Spirit, in us, strengthening us together for his mission. Never at any moment leaving us alone. Always staying true to his promises and accomplishing his plan of redemption through us. And so this leads me to to the second truth that I'd like to share with you this morning. When you're living a life of sacrifice for God's mission, you must remember he sees everything you do for him. And so, just to give you an example of this, earlier this year, I, I was watching the news and I, and I found out that there's actually this, this hidden feature on, on iPhones. It's called the, the Frequent Locations feature. And it's, I guess, automatically turned on with, with everyone's iPhone when you, when you purchase one, one of the, some of the newer iPhones. And it tracks every move you make, how long you were at work, how long you were at home, where you went for lunch, and so on. And I had actually ever, actually, I had never, excuse me, never actually heard of this, this frequent locations um, thing on, on the phone before. And I, I was just kind of interested by it, but I didn't really know. I was like, oh, okay, all right. So as interesting as this was to me, the reason I share it with you is, is to make a larger point. In a much more benevolent way, God sees absolutely everything that you do and everything that you do for him. Even into the depths of your heart, he sees why you do what you do, why you felt what you felt or thought what you thought. Every single detail, big and small. See, today it's hard for us to, to fully grasp this concept, this closeness with God, because our culture is lost in a sea of popularity. How many friends do you have on Facebook? What kind of job do you have? How much money do you make? Think big, dream big, always think big. But what about the less dramatic things that we do? There are far more small things in life than big things, than dramatic things. But does anybody care about these things? Does anyone see these things? And the answer is yes. God does. And here's why this matters. In Nehemiah's day, the people moving into the city were not concerned with the personal notoriety. In chapter 11, starting in verse 4, most of the names on this list were families that moved into the city. Now, you might say that this is a pretty dramatic thing for these people, to, to uproot their lives and move into the city, and, and you're absolutely right. It was no small task for them to do this. But what I mean to point out here is the commonness of the people. For example, when, when asked who your favorite Bible figure is, you don't find many people saying, Jediah. He's my favorite. Or Mataniah. In Nehemiah chapter 11, that is my favorite Bible character, Bible figure. However, these people matter to God. And this list and every other list in Nehemiah matters. Even though these people didn't get a book of the Bible named after them, their work was just as valued by God. And these families were willing to uproot their lives and sacrifice the comfortable for the uncomfortable to live on mission for God. Each person was important no matter how common they, they might appear. Some of these people that gave up their lives were not even mentioned, actually, by name, specifically. And in verse 12, it says that there was 822 men who carried on the work of the temple.
everyone was named individually throughout the chapter, they're still talked about. And what an incredible amount of people, just roughly 10,000 people that from within their hearts sacrificed their lives for God's mission willingly. So, so just, uh, just imagine for a minute, can you, if Nehemiah didn't have these people, what would he do? How could, have he, how could he have done it? How could he have gotten the work done if it wasn't for those who moved? These people had a huge role to play in what God was doing. Not in a big position of notoriety, but in the specific part that God had for them. And just like Nehemiah, God's mission here today in Fort Orange moves forward with us. God could accomplish his plan of redemption without us, but he doesn't. He uses us to accomplish it. There's no way any church could function with only a few people doing all the work of the ministry in here and out there. And in every way, churches across the world and here at Restoration could not function if it weren't for God's people. If it weren't for you specifically sacrificing your lives to serve God's mission here, we would be like the empty city of Nehemiah's day. And like the 822 men who were not individually named or those that you may have never known about until you read this chapter, they were the willing unknowns. And you may be a willing unknown, sacrificing your life for Jesus without great credit or even reward. But know that God in his great love, mercy, and care sees everything you do for him. Nothing, un- nothing goes unnoticed in his eyes. And if you're sacrificing Jesus as a willing unknown in any capacity, there's something extremely important to always remember. We must continually examine our heart when it comes to why we do what we do. And to kind of use the, the iPhone illustration again, the frequent location app, everything we may Everything we do may look good on the outside from what Apple sees. You're to work on time. You're to lunch for an hour. You're at home. You're at all the right places that you need to be. But what the iPhone frequent locations feature doesn't look at is your heart. Why are you thinking or feeling what you're thinking or feeling? What's the why behind what you're doing? Though you may seem to be a willing unknown to an outsider sacrificing your lives for Jesus to serve him? Are you deep within your heart looking for some sort of affirmation? Are you looking for the slightest gain or notoriety in people's eyes? Do you want to be in the spotlight? Now, don't get me wrong here. Encouragement and affirmation in these things, in these areas, are not bad in themselves. In fact, it's, it's necessary and biblical to do so. Giving credit where credit is due, encouraging and, and thanking with gratefulness, those that do so much for God's mission. However, if that's the reason why you're doing the things you're doing for God, then that's not a good thing. And your heart's not in the right place. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, warns about this. Living in a way that's looking for recognition or something in return. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And what Jesus is saying is that if you do good things with the aim of getting a reward from people, then you have your reward from them. Because ultimately, you're not seeking to serve Jesus, but you're seeking to serve yourself. Therefore, 
you'll not have a reward from your Father in heaven because you didn't do it for him. So how are we to sacrifice our lives in the, in the correct way then? Like the people of Nehemiah did, not looking for personal notoriety. Like Jesus tells us in Matthew 20, verses 26 to 27, as servants. Or as he says in Luke 14, 11, with genuine humility. And the idea is we're to give ourselves as living sacrifices for Jesus because he sacrificed his life for us. We are to decrease and he is to increase. And with that in mind, though, remember, not one thing done for the good of God's mission is overlooked. He sees it all when you're sacrificing your life for Jesus with a right heart. Everything you do matters. From little to big parts, from visible to invisible parts, all are needed. So think about this for a minute. Think of the, the human body and all of the parts beneath our skin that intricately function together to help us live. To me, it's just absolutely amazing. But look at one of the biggest parts, if not the biggest part, that really does keep us living. Our heart. That stops beating and, well, the rest is history. And now, yes, we, we do know our hearts are there, but, but they're not visible. You can't tell someone has a heart specifically by looking at their physical appearance. And the same goes for the work of Jesus through his church. Chuck Swindoll, who I referenced earlier, says it like this. The gifts, of, the gifts God has given you make you valuable, but not necessarily famous. Like our hearts, your sacrifice for Jesus has a valuable part in his mission, one that the church could not properly function without. Or like the holy city of Jerusalem with the people of Nehemiah's day, moving into the city could not properly function, thrive for God's mission without them. So that sacrifice, your sacrifice, no matter how big or how small, when done for God alone, does not go unnoticed by him. Or as the author of Hebrews puts it in chapter 6, verse 10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. What a promise. No matter who overlooks what you do for Jesus, God sees. When you sacrifice your life for God's mission again and again and again and don't receive any recognition or notoriety, God sees. Ultimately, our heart should always be to serve God. But however, that's not always the case. We're not always going to be able to focus up and not in. It gets better, yes, as we grow in Jesus, growing in him, becoming more like him, but it won't ever be perfect this side of heaven. And here's where the good news comes in. Thankfully, God made the ultimate sacrifice for his people so we could trust in his perfection. Because our actions will always fall short, but the good news is that God loves us because of Jesus' actions not ours. It's because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross for us that we're made right in God's sight. When we put our faith in Christ, his righteousness is given to us and the penalty for our sin is and was given to him. And there is no greater sacrifice in all the earth. And it's because of this that we sacrifice our lives for him. We are loved by Jesus and we love him 
Heaven is a byproduct of that. And so this morning, as, as we do wrap up, my main and ultimate goal was to really encourage you. Where God has placed you specifically and called you. At the same time, allow you to see how important your individual sacrifice is for the gospel. How important it is for you to examine your life as you live it out for God's mission. As the people of Nehemiah's day moved into Jerusalem, away from comfort, to be a part of what God was doing, we, we too can live out this implica- the implications of sacrifice in our lives, serving Jesus in our city, together as a church for his mission, through his church for his mission. So this morning, where do you find yourself in, in all of this? Are you living a life of sacrifice for the right reasons within your heart? Is your heart right with Jesus? Are you living a life of sacrifice at all? And what areas can you change to live more sacrificially for God's mission? And as we move into response, use this time as an opportunity to reflect on your life and the areas God is leading you to walk more closely with him today. Asking yourself, what is Jesus saying to you and what are you going to do about it? Will you bow your heads and and pray with me? Dear Lord, we just, we just love you so much, Father. We thank you that you are who you are, how great you are, how awesome you are, and what you've done for us, Lord. Father, we thank you that you guide us and you lead us to grow in you. Lord, and we, and we just pray that you really would this morning, Lord, really, really, truly help us to, to learn where we can grow in you, Jesus, and that, and that we can take our next steps um, with you and, and turn from anything that, that may be hindering that, Lord, and that you would help us to do that. Father, we do just, uh, just thank you for, for the church that you've given us here, your body, Father, that we get to be here in Port Orange at Restoration on mission for you, Lord. And we do just pray that, that as we go throughout our week and as you have us placed specifically in our jobs and with our families, that you would just help us to, to live as sacrifices there in, in every way, in every minute, in every second, Lord. That we can just point people to you live as, living as an example with consistency, Father. And we just thank you that, that when we do fall short, Lord, we know that you are so good and you are so great, Lord. And... Um, It's not because of us, it's because of you and what you've done, Lord, and that you cover us in that. And so, Lord, we just uh, lift up this time of response. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word with the people at Restoration here, everyone that I love. And we just pray these things in your son's precious name, in Jesus' name, amen.